0: European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance Volume 37, Issue 38 Focus Issue on Atrial Fibrillation by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lusher. Atrial Fibrillation Today's Guideline-Based Management Atrial fibrillation is the most common cardiac arrhythmia and its incidence and prevalence increases with age. Although by itself a non-fatal arrhythmia, It is associated with a considerable risk of stroke and heart failure. For the management of this complication, several risk scores for embolic events have been developed, the most common being the CHA2DS2VASC score. The management of atrial fibrillation has made impressive progress with the development of novel drugs, catheter-based ablation, and, more recently, novel oral anticoagulants of NOACs. Thus, it appeared timely to publish the updated 2016 ESC guidelines for the management of atrial fibrillation developed in collaboration with EACTS. The authors note that the number of patients with atrial fibrillation is predicted to rise steeply in the coming years. To meet the growing demand for effective care of these patients, New information is continually generated and published, reflecting the multidisciplinary input into its management. The task force included cardiologists with varying areas of expertise, cardiac surgeons, stroke neurologists and specialist nurses. They commissioned external systematic reviews to answer these questions, and these reviews have informed specific recommendations. Of note... Only recommendations that were supported by at least 75% of the task force members were included in the document. It is the hope that these guidelines will help to deliver best practice care to all patients with atrial fibrillation based on current state-of-the-art evidence in 2016. Risk factors for atrial fibrillation include age, hypertension, female gender diabetes and heart failure, as well as competitive sports, among others. In addition, body weight seems to be a novel risk factor. Lean body weight has been associated with the rise of atrial fibrillation recently. In their research article, The Obesity Paradox in Atrial Fibrillation, observations from the Aristotle Apixaban for Reduction in Stroke and Other Thromboembolic Events in Atrial Fibrillation trial, Rupinder K. Sandhu and colleagues from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada, investigated the prognostic implication of adiposity on clinical outcomes in 17,913 patients with atrial fibrillation enrolled in the Aristotle trial treated with oral anticoagulation. Body mass index was categorized as normal, 18.5 to 25 kilograms per meter squared, overweight, 25 to 30 kilograms per meter squared, and obese, more than 30 kilograms per meter squared. Waist circumference was defined as high if more than 102 centimeters for men, and more than 88 centimeters in women. At baseline, 23% of the patients had a normal body mass index, 37% were overweight, and 40% were obese. In multivariable analyses, higher body mass index was associated with a lower risk of all-cause mortality with a hazard ratio of 0.67. In addition, the hazard ratio for the composite endpoint of stroke, myocardial infarction, and death was 0.74 for overweight and 0.68 for obese compared with normal body mass index. In women, but not men, High waist circumference was associated with a 31% lower risk of all-cause mortality, 27% lower risk of the composite endpoint, and 28% lower risk of stroke or systemic embolism. There was no association between adiposity and major bleeding. Thus, in patients with atrial fibrillation on oral anticoagulants, higher body mass index and waist circumference are associated with a more favourable prognosis. This interesting work is further discussed in an editorial by Prashan Than Sanders from the University of Adelaide and Royal Adelaide Hospital in South Australia. Besides drugs such as beta blockers, amiodarone and dronedarone, catheter-based ablation techniques have become a treatment of choice, particularly in symptomatic patients with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. In a first fast-track clinical research paper, Cryoballoon or Radiofrequency Ablation for Symptomatic Paroxysmal Atrial Fibrillation, Re-Intervention, Re-Hospitalization and Quality of Life Outcomes in the Fire and Ice Trial, Karl Heinz Cook, on behalf of the Fire and Ice investigators, further evaluated a novel ablation technique. They remind us that the primary safety and efficacy endpoints of the randomized fire and ice trial recently demonstrated non-inferiority of cryoballoon versus radiofrequency catheter ablation in patients with drug refractory symptomatic paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. The aim of this sub-study was to assess additional outcome parameters, specifically re-interventions, re-hospitalizations, and quality of life. In total, three hundred and seventy four subjects in the cryoballoon and three hundred seventy six subjects in the radio frequency current group were evaluated after the index ablation. There were significant differences in favor of cryoballoon ablation with respect to replete ablations i e eleven point eight per cent cryoballoon versus seventeen point six per cent radio frequency current direct current cardioversions i e three point two per cent versus six point four per cent all-cause rehospitalizations ie 32.6% cryoballoon versus 41.5% radiofrequency current and cardiovascular rehospitalizations 23.8% cryoballoon versus 35.9% radiofrequency current in contrast there were no differences between groups in quality of life However, there was an improvement in mental and physical quality of life in all patients starting 6 months after ablation that was maintained throughout the 30 months of follow-up. The authors conclude that patients treated with cryoballoon as opposed to radiofrequency current ablation had fewer repeat ablations, direct current cardioversions, all-cause rehospitalizations, and cardiovascular hospitalisation during follow-up. Both patient groups improved in quality of life scores after atrial fibrillation ablation. These exciting findings are discussed in a comprehensive editorial by Jens Kossidis Nielsen from the Aarhus University Hospital in Denmark. The relationship between outcomes and time after diagnosis for patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillation is poorly defined especially beyond the first year. In their paper, Two-Year Outcomes of Patients with Newly Diagnosed Atrial Fibrillation Results from Garfield AF, Jean-Pierre Bassand and colleagues from the University Hospital Jean-Mingot in Besançon, France, analysed the Garfield AF registry that enrolled 17,162 adults with newly diagnosed non-valvular atrial fibrillation the mean cha2ds2 vasc score was 3.3 and 61% of patients were prescribed anticoagulants with or without antiplatelet therapy 27% received only antiplatelet drugs and 12% no antithrombotic therapy at 2 year follow up all cause mortality stroke or systemic embolism and or major bleeding had occurred in 3.83 1.25 and 0.70 per 100 person years respectively. Rates for all three major events were highest during the first four months. Congestive heart failure, acute coronary syndromes, sudden and or unwitnessed death, malignancy, respiratory failure, and infection or sepsis accounted for 65 percent of all known causes of death, while strokes accounted for less than 10 percent. Anticoagulants were associated with a 35% lower risk of death. Thus, in this real-world cohort with recent onset atrial fibrillation, the most common causes of death were not influenced by anticoagulation. This suggests that a more comprehensive approach to the management of non-valvular atrial fibrillation may be needed to improve outcome. In addition to anticoagulation, this may include interventions targeting modifiable, because specific risk factors for death. These provocative results are discussed in an interesting editorial by Thomas Jared Bunch from the Intermountain Medical Center in Murray, Utah, USA. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.